Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to have our guest on today. Anthony Vaughn has spent the last 10 years learning everything there is to know about human resources, business, and entrepreneurship, including areas such as sales, marketing, operations, cash flow, profit loss, partnerships, employee experience, operations, learning and development, business development, and everything else in between. That is a lot to learn. He has founded multiple brands and impacted several more through his thoughtful mentorship and strategy via consulting. Throughout all of his successes and failures, he has come to realize his true passion and skill is with the area of human resources. Anthony was an earlier guest of ours back in uh, March of this year. We are currently recording episode number 175, and Anthony was a guest way back in episode 92. And we reconnected and thought it would be great to have an update on some of the things that he has currently been working on. And Anthony has also a fantastic backstory. He started in his career at a very young age, and I'm gonna ask him to share a little bit about that with all of you as we move forward in episode number 175. Hello, Anthony. Ed, how are you? I appreciate it. I am well. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I mentioned to our listeners that you have a fantastic backstory, and I'm wondering if you could take just a couple of minutes to remind our listeners about what you had done as a younger person and what you are currently doing today. 100%. So I'll, I'll keep it brief since folks can go back to the original episode and listen. But uh, essentially, 19 years old, came up with this uh, amazing idea to a year-round football academy. Um, 18 months, 20 months later, found myself in Under Armour offices working with executives to flush out a partnership uh, that landed successfully and, and, and the rest was history. You know, built a 70 full-time staff, um, seven-figure brand, um, and did a lot of great things, but inevitably made a really big mistake in the people operations leadership department. Did not respect career mapping and, you know, really supporting a high-level executive to think about the next frontier of his career and how that all made sense for him contextual to the brand. He walked away. Under Armour uh, was excited about that to my surprise, because they still wanted to work with him and was more excited about him, frankly, than the business model, which kind of hurt my ego a bit. But that made a lot of sense, knowing the sports industry and how that works. Um, And uh, that taught me everything I needed to know about 
uh, my, myself as a leader and then how I needed to focus more on leadership and people operations and putting employees first. Hence the uh, E1B2 kind of employees first, business second methodology and perspective. And the rest was history. So I, I spent the rest of my time studying, researching, went on to build a second brand, spent a bit of time in houses ahead of people. Um, and then at the top of the pandemic, I decided to build the E1B2 Collective, which is a holding company that puts employees first by building systems, processes, and brands in different ways to uh, to help support that. And so um, we are now a mighty team of close to 50 across the board and um, many collaborators, internal employees, partners, and um, I do a bit of advising, investing, writing, speaking, and um, all around just trying to make this whole life thing work. So uh, that's who I am at. Well, fantastic, Anthony. And of course, as a former human resources professional, I love the employees first, business second model. And I'm just wondering when we think about bravery in the workplace, you know, what does employees first mean? I mean, when you say that to somebody or think about it as a, a way to connect with others, what is it that you're talking about? For me, what it means is literally everything underneath of the people function, you know, compensation strategy, you know, talent development, L&D, um, you know, having really thoughtful one on ones, career mapping strategies, um, you know, uh, anything right. Like leadership development, you know, first manager training, you know, all these different things that we, we know and love within the world of work um, and even connecting it to finance, even connecting it to new product innovation, you know, high performing teams. I want to know the perspectives of the employees first. I want to know how they want to inevitably get the work done. I want to know their flaws, their strengths, their weaknesses, their their exciting moments. I want to know uh, where they want to be in their careers and how they want to navigate uh, their, themselves inside the organization. And I want to use that data and contextualize that data and use that first to then make any decisions that I will be making strategically and putting into the operational fabrics of the org. Um so for me, I only go off of employee data, right? I use their data first and then couple that with what I know about HR, what I know about building great businesses, what I know about uh, structuring great organizations. Um, because for me, the last thing I'll say, Ed, is if we don't put employees first and understand those things, when it comes to uh, conducting a product roadmap or when it comes to making it innovations or when it comes to navigating an integration partnership where we need that to happen so that we can scale our systems and our finances. If an employee doesn't feel engaged, bought in and doing it in a way that behooves them, it'll never work. And so that's kind of why I use that data first. Well, and I love the employees first model. And throughout my career in human resources, I really I somewhat came to a conclusion that there are really two types of, I believe, human resources that impact organizations and people. One is the more technical or tactical side, which are things like benefits, compensation, training. You know, they're more cut and paste or black and white type experiences. The other is, I think, a little bit of what you're talking about, which is career development, leadership development, things that are very unique to the individual versus very cookie cutter, right? Uh, 85 people could be in a very particular health plan, but you're only one person. You have your own career goals. You have your own career objectives. And, you know, how do you collect that data? You know, where does this information come from that you use to apply in the models in which you're working? Yeah, so for me, you know, the data comes from, you know, if, if, you're, if you're listening, you're a chief people officer, you're sitting at the top, for me, what I've learned how to do, because for a moment there, you know, me being a novice, 
I used to kind of say, you know what? I'm going to scale the unscalable. Though I am the head of people or chief people officer of a hundred person, 500 person, a thousand person organization, screw it. I'm going to talk to every single employee myself um, because I believe I'm the best person that can really get contextual. What I've realized is that's not efficient. That's not smart. And that's really not how a chief people officer should be spending his or her time. Um, and so what I think the very first step is training your managers how to have those conversations, training them to be uh, strategically empathetic, uh, patient, listen, um, and, and really extract that data and then, you know, send over reports and feedback and, and, and then obviously utilize surveys and things of that nature. And then, you know, send that information over to the chief people officer to really review and unpack that data. And so um, I utilize the one-on-one format very, very much. Um, I'm not a huge fan, and I know this is like very contradictory to the world today. I'm not a huge fan of surveys. I think I think this, that if employees do not feel bought into the, not only the values and the mission of the org, but bought into their overall um, initiatives and, 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 and behaviors in the org, if they're not excited about what they're doing in the org or don't feel like they're bought in, I believe they can get lazy when they filling out these surveys, I can believe they can just poo poo them. And um, that data is not useful for us. And so I kind of want managers to understand how to build that emotional blue, have those one-on-one conversations, get a lot of that contextual data um, and then send it over to me and I'll be able to kind of figure out what we need to do next. So that's kind of how I used to go about doing that when I was in house and how I've tried to guide organizations to do it now. Well, and if you and I were, uh, two kings of the world, uh, you know, we would do everything that you are describing. Yet I find in most organizations, we don't spend enough time teaching people on how to have good conversation, how to lead with courage, how to be brave at work, how to uh, manage with empathy. Uh, you know, all these things that we see are so needed once we start working with people aren't there for them when they first start, when they have their first leadership role. And yeah, I'm just wondering you know, what your perspective is on the existence of these type of opportunities for people and you know, kind of where your organization or you might play a role in bringing it to life. Yeah. So for me, you know, my organizations right now, what we're, what we're trying to do is not necessarily when the trainings, though, I do believe that needs to happen. So I'll, I'll just touch on that for a moment. Um, I'm seeing too many and this is, you know, Ed, you know, you, you look great. Let me just say that. Let me start out before I give this statement. You look great. You look like you're 39, 27, 18, maybe. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. <laughs> but you're much older than I am. So I, I'll say this. This is not anything new. But what I'll say is pretty simple. Um, organizations need to stop putting managers and even executives in those seats without teaching, developing, and helping them actually understand the human side of the role. We're having too many leaders being in the positions of a leadership role because they're good at finance or good at the black and white tactical executions of a partnership integration or great at copy or great at design or whatever, you know, side of the business they're in. And that's great. And Danny, that's fine. And actually I think there's a way to have a knowledge based leader inside the organization that can still have the compensation that they're looking for and the responsibility that they're looking for, but not have so much human interaction. That's a, completely different conversation. But to keep it simple, Ed, too many organizations are putting people in leadership positions that do not have a desire or know how to be a leader. And so I think significant training needs to happen six months, a year prior to even thinking about putting someone in that position. And then ongoing trainings 
and performance management systems to audit the teams that that leader is being responsible for and hearing from the employees like, hey, do you still want this person to be your leader? Are they really doing the humanistic things that you need them to do? And if not, I want to see more companies remove leaders that are exceptional at the black and white, but horrible at the gray and the emotional stuff. So um, I just want to maybe that's a perspective. I started ranting, so I'll, I'll, I'll shut it down here. But that's a perspective. No, I agree with everything that you're saying. And this is one of the frustrations I have when I work with clients. And I'm sure you may share the same frustration that while everything you're saying is true, Culturally, we don't train people in high school and college and in graduate school how to navigate conflict effectively, how to be braver at work and say things that need to be said, always with respect and professionalism, but how to do this. And they end up getting placed in roles as a supervisor or a manager, and they're expected to be good at all of it. And this may be the first time they've had to terminate an employee or the first time they've need they've needed to have a difficult conversation with somebody that makes the individual and themselves uncomfortable, right? And we, we just don't show people how to do it. We expect them just to figure out how to do it. And of course, now that they have the title, they think everyone thinks they have all the answers. So they also don't know how to ask for help and say, hey, I just want to remind you, this is my first manager role. I've not done this before. Is there someone in the organization who can help me roadmap how to do this? We don't do that either. And hence, we struggle through these difficult situations or worse, we avoid them, making them worse and end up wherever we end up. So it's a real contrarianism, if I can say that word, uh, regardless of our ages that exists in the workplace between what is expected of leaders and what we train them or teach them to do. Hi, I'm Bruce Tulgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work. If you like listening to Be Brave at Work as much as I enjoy being a guest, maybe you'll like our podcast, The Indispensables. Every week I ask my guests what sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, what makes them so successful. I've interviewed so many amazing people, executives, rock stars. Uh, I interviewed New York Times columnist Ron Lieber, former chief of staff of the United States Army, General Dennis Reimer, General Greg Langell, who was deputy commanding general of Joint Special Operations Command. If, if, if you're interested, please listen and subscribe to The Indispensables on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this show. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll give one last thing, Ed. I agree with everything you said. I'll give one last thing, too, that's super outside the box. And um, this is a, a perspective I, I haven't really dug up underneath of the hood of a company and really helped them do this yet. So I'm just throwing it out here. But um, I think organizations also need to look at the the way that they're measuring the success of a manager when they get them in their roles. I want to see organizations like recreate the expectations and the structure of the role and lean a little bit more into the EQ human side of it and 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 relieve the managers of some of their tactical duties. Cause like for example, I'm using the partnership integration, like the VP of partnerships role a lot in this in this podcast. If you need that human being to be responsible for seeing 10 partnerships a quarter through, um, the black and white tactics to making those partnerships occur, I understand needs to happen. But but I think looking in their 40, 50 hour a week, I want to see more of a of a split of time that's a little bit more human centered 
where they're supporting the teams in a more of a humanistic way than super financial, did the partnership happen, tangible black and white like structure. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense, but essentially what I'm saying is the reason why, in my opinion, a lot of managers are caught and uncomfortable is because they're like, look, my executive, right? The CMO is expecting certain deliverables from me. And at the end of the day, I'm feeling like I only have so much time to get into these human variables because I have other black and white things and tactical things that I need to do or I'll lose my job too. And so I need the companies to try to be a little bit more thoughtful when structuring those roles. Um, Maybe you have more thoughts on that because I haven't actually tangibly recreated that, but it's a thought I have. Well, I think it's a very accurate thought. Oftentimes when I work with clients and teams, I uh, observe that they have spent most of their professional career on what they do. And so they might be in real estate, they might be an attorney, they might be a pharmaceutical engineer, you know, whatever their role is, the vast majority of the time and attention placed on them has been on what they do. And then they call in people like you and I because they need help in respect to how they do it. And what they're finding is that while they're technically fantastic, and oftentimes I'll hear from hiring managers of me for a client that, you know, this is the best attorney we have, or this is the best manager we have, or the best, you know, uh, uh, technologist that we have. However, they can't get along with anyone, right? They, They don't have interpersonal skills. They don't have relationship building skills. And we're getting to a point now where it's starting to become a problem. Earlier on, it wasn't a problem because their degree of influence and impact in the organization was lesser, but because they were really good at what they did, they continued to grow in their career, and now how they're doing it is becoming way more important, and they're highly undeveloped in that area. They have not had any training. They have not had any role models. They have not had any experiences that have led them to believe how I motivate people, how I engage people how I interact with people are in some ways almost more important than what we're doing. You know, we're going to hire people who are good at what they do. I I need to help them and guide them, of course, but how they interact with others, how they build relationships becomes more important the more senior you are in an organization. And so, uh, you know, until we fix this relationship between the how you do things and the what you do, we will continue to get hired because they will never, ever, you know, we're trying to fix the errors of the past where we should have learned all this before and we haven't. And now it's coming to play as being an important influencer in your career. And and let me say one more thing, too, that you may resonate with. This is a big, bold statement, so I'm a little scared to say it, but I'm just going to jump off a cliff here um, and, then, and then we can shift gears if you like. Um, so. I've thought about my ability to be a chief people officer, head of people. Um, And one thing that I've been on record to say is I want to start seeing more companies put folks in executive and leadership positions that are possibly, if I can say this, not the greatest tactical human. Let me explain this. I believe I can bring an organization a lot of value as a chief people officer, and I'm not the best And frankly, I don't know everything when it comes to compensation, benefit, anything that you can think of underneath of that that banner of being a chief people officer. I believe it's my job to be a great leader. I believe it's my job to remove ego. I believe it's my job to have an external and internal team and network of complete rock stars in job descriptions, complete rock stars in DE&I, complete rock stars in internal communications, and put them in the positions to thrive remove my ego 
And I believe I should be judged around how amazing they are and how, how much support I can give to them, not me being the resident expert in all of those functions. Too many people that are either chief people officers, VP of partnership integrations, finance, too many people are in these roles that are complete rock stars and the best of the best tangibly and tactically. I want to see more people get in those positions that maybe aren't the best tangibly, but the team they have underneath of them are complete rock stars. And they're actually great leaders to help those folks underneath of them get a lot of the tactical black and white things done at an exceptional level. Um, so I don't know if that was out of the box, but when I look around to some of my colleagues that are two people officers, they come from being like exceptional tactical, you know, uh, experts in certain domains. And like you said, they're getting to the leadership party late. And I kind of want to see it a little bit reverse. So I don't know if that's crazy or weird, but that's just a, a thought. It's not crazy and weird. And uh, this is one of the reasons you and I get along so well is because we agree so, so much on everything that we're talking about. And this is another model that tends to be broken in our culture, which is this belief that the more senior you are in an organization, the more you know, and the better you are at everything. And in reality, that's just not the case. So people think, you know, the head of human resources knows absolutely everything there is to know about human resources in every angle and every perspective is great at everything. And in reality, they just may not be. What they need to do is ensure that they have a great team of people. So fantastic compensation people, fantastic training people, fantastic leadership development people. And they kind of like a marionette, you know, manage them all and keep them motivated and engaged and keep them learning and developing and helping them feel their career is moving in the way that it should help them influence the organization, right? That's what I would see as my role, not someone who knows, you know, the 10th line of a benefit plan, clause 16-4. I may never know that, but, uh, but you know, this again is another model that's broken because we believe organizational presidents know everything. And in reality, as they would tell you, they don't. So unfortunately, Anthony, you know, we have to say goodbye for our podcast this week, but I do want to give you a couple of minutes just to tell us a little bit about your, you know, the current organization at which you're working and leading and what you guys are doing today. Yeah. So yeah, I'll spend just, just 90 seconds here uh, speaking about Sojo Signal, really excited about it. Um, inevitably, we all know that DE and I and honestly, just being more transparent inside of organizations are very important. And so for me, when I thought about Sojo Signal and I created this initiative, I thought about the fact that many, many, many organizations are horrible, Ed, horrible at explaining true operational realities of a, any given department, of a role to applicants very, very early throughout the hiring process. They wait until the onboarding. They wait until 60 days in, 90 days in. And then the applicants that are amazing, a.k.a. the employees now, are looking up and they're saying, huh, I didn't know that the operational fabrics and workings and teams and structures and all these other things were really shaped like that. And so for me, what I'm trying to do when we think about decision making, when we think about performance management, when we think about coaching and feedback, when we think about continuous learning moments, when we think about any role restrictions or red tape, or we think about quality standards and we think about leadership, um, you know, personalities, explain all of those really nitty gritty variables to candidates early, early, early in the process. Be candid and honest with them about all of those variables, because what you're going to find is you're going to find and live into more diversity, more equity, more inclusion, because you're finding folks that are not only a great 
you know, fit because they accepted your $90,000, you know, rate that you said you were going to pay or a great fit because you see yourself being able to have a nice coffee or tea or a beer after work, but they're a good operational and tactical fit. And the only way you're going to find that out realistically to save you time, energy, and money is if you explain that proactively throughout the hiring process. And so um, that's what we do here at Sojo. We help companies do that. We have a really innovative way of doing that. And uh, any company that would like to do that, uh, yeah, let's maybe talk. So it's a scary thing, but it's an important thing. Absolutely. It's incredibly important. And again, as a former HR leader, I, again, agree with that assessment and belief that we need to get better at everything you just described because it helps create better cohesion between the applicant and the organization. So if folks are interested, Anthony, in hearing more about your perspectives or the work that you're doing, how can they get in contact with you? I'll give you uh, I'll give you two websites to look at. Uh, go to SojoSignal.com, Sojo, S-O-J-O, Signal. I believe that's how you spell um, And then go to E1B2Collective.com as well. And um, a lot of great information there, a lot of great podcasts, content, perspectives, and um, yeah, let's talk if, if you want to work and, and try to make some innovative changes happen. Terrific. Anthony, thank you again so much for your time today. Thanks a lot, Ed. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us next week in our podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and our download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Capit Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at capitrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.